Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt, and I'm so excited that my friend Laura is here again today, finally after being off the podcast forever and ever. So Laura, tell everybody about you. Oh my gosh. Everybody. Uh, tell everybody everything. Okay. Well, <laughs> hi everybody. I'm Laura. Um, I've been doing this a really long time. I think I figured out that I'm in my 33rd year of doing early childhood. That's impressive. You must have been a baby when you started. I was. I was a senior in high school. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I'm i currently, though, I mean, I could I could spend a long time talking about all my experiences. Right. I, I think at this point, I've pretty much done everything. Yeah. Um, so, that's me. Hi, I'm Laura. <laughs> I've done everything in early childhood. Um, Laura Spillman. I'm, I didn't say your last name. She's Laura Spillman. I'm Laura Spillman. <laughs> and um, I... I'm currently back in a classroom um, with threes, fours, and fives, which has been an amazing experience. Um, I wouldn't trade the last seven months for anything in the whole wide world because it's just been great to connect with children and families um, on this level again after being out of the classroom for almost 17 years. Um, it's just, it's been great. So I'm getting ready to explore a whole new role in the next month, um, which I'm super excited about. Um, but at any rate, so I'm also excited about your new role. Yeah. <laughs> yay. Um, yay. It's be, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I have been, um, well, first let me say I've been obsessed with Margie Carter and Deb Curtis for 25 years probably yeah, we're fan girls big 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 time fan girls and um and so this what we're what we're going to talk about today is hopefully going to be part of a series um for the podcast that explore the ideas of core dispositions of master teachers that uh, margie and deb if i can use their first names margie and deb um outlined in their book training teachers which came out in the mid 90s i think but it's still really relevant and for me was a life-changing book um even though at the time i was in direct care working directly with with two-year-olds at that time um and not in any kind of teacher training position um it really changed the way i thought about a lot of things so um there's sort of an overarching quote for this which is from chapter nine of the training teachers books rather than conclude that some children are born teachers why not try to identify the habits of mind that characterize master teachers and then consistently foster those in our teacher training efforts? Um, so we're going to talk about the fourth of those core dispositions, which is be willing to take risks and make mistakes. I don't know how you're a teacher and not take risks <laughs> and not make mistakes. Um, I... Am, I think I've been probably one of the, the risk takers um, in the field. I, you know, I even think back to 
when I originally started, I wasn't even an early childhood person. I was a theater nerd. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I know that I've told this story before, but I really, my goal was to be on Sesame Street. I really wanted to be an actress on Sesame Street because I loved their concepts. I loved their format. I loved public television. Um but as I was progressing through my theater courses, I mean, really, I was close to graduating. Um, I was also subbing in an early childhood program, and I decided to switch my, my um, career to early childhood, which was risky because, well, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't super risky because being in theater is really hard, but mm-hmm. being in early childhood was really hard. Yeah, I would say both of those are pretty risky to but choose I, as a career. I didn't know that. I really <laughs> yeah. thought that this was choosing something easy to do. I really do. I think that it was like, oh, wow, I can be done in two years with this, and I'm really pretty good at it. I can take my concepts from the theater, and I can put it into practice in my early childhood classroom. I was doing preschool at the time as a kind of a sub-float. And um, so what really turned it for me was I lost – I was I had a part-time job, and I got kind of laid off. You know, they were laying mm-hmm. off and I ended up going back and working part-time in a preschool and that's when it just kind of was solidified for me that this is exactly what I want to do. Um, so, you know, along the way, um, taking risks have been has been a big integral part of my career. So that's kind of the big picture, but I think when you whittle it down to thinking about teachers in the classrooms, you know, what are some of the risks that we take on a daily basis in a classroom? Uh-huh. Um, so the the opening statement that you made, you know, I don't know how it's possible to be a teacher and not take risks and make mistakes. Um, there's two things that I think the word willing is key there. Like not all of us are willing to do that. It just sort of happens because of the nature of our work that we make mistakes. Um, and that sometimes we take risks, but I, I, I see a lot of folks that for me, maybe sometimes it's the people who just aren't willing to entertain a new idea about doing something for them. That seems like a risk to think, well, maybe I should let go of circle time, or maybe it's okay to let the toddler climb on the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you know, making sure that that we've done what we need to do to to manage the risk in that situation to the toddler. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, what kinds of let's let's maybe think about some risks that we think we've taken as teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, this may seem seem kind of like a small one, but to me, it, it really was kind of huge. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in the Head Start classroom, and I really consider those years very formative for me because I was it was my first experience as a lead teacher. It was working in a Head Start facility, and up to that point, I had been working for a hospital-run daycare, so um, the demographics were very, very different. <laughs> So it was really, again, I just kind of consider it sort of my formative years and really working with children and families in a very meaningful way. Not that my others weren't meaningful, but this uh-huh. is just a different scale. Anyway, so <laughs> I had a mixed age group of threes, fours, and fives. And my biggest struggle was the transitions that I had from going outside. And I felt like I spent an exorbitant amount of time just trying to get the kids 
to line up and go outside. <laughs> and for some reason at that point, cleaning up the room and lining up was very important to me. Uh-huh. And one, because I'm, I'm kind of an, I'm, I'm a, I'm a superficially neat person. Like I like things to look neat on the outside, but like my closets are a disaster. If that makes any sense. So like my classroom looked very, very put together, but like, We had desks and we had closets and they were a mess. But I always wanted my classroom to have this certain way of being presented. And I I don't know what that's about. Like that Uh that might be a different conversation to unpack. But (laughs) so, um, so it was very important to me. And we would start like really the kids would be like super engaged. And like literally I was in that, oh, we have to get ready to clean up. Like we had to get ready to clean up. Right. Does that make any sense whatsoever? No, it, it doesn't to me. Right. Like, how do you get ready to clean up? So, so, um, so that took a long time, and then getting coats and getting lined up took a long time. And we'd get outside, and we wouldn't even have enough time outside. So, I was at a conference one time, and I brought this up as a question in the in the session, and she was like, "Why are you doing that?" <laughs> and I'm like well, you have to clean up. And she was like, do you? <laughs> like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, you know, and to get their coats on and line up. And she goes, have you ever thought about just going outside? And I'm like, holy shit, no, no. <laughs> so I tried it uh-huh. and it was mind blowing. Yeah. It was like, we had all this time in the classroom and we had all this time outside and we'd come back inside and have all this time more in the classroom. Like I eliminated all these transitions, but I was, I was so tied to this notion of you got to clean up mm-hmm. and you have to get your coat. And you gotta, you know, you gotta do this and you gotta do that before you can do this. And, and that for me was a huge risk. And it, it really, you know, and I say that today in trainings, you know, people ask about transitions and I say that and it really, people will look at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. I think cleanup is, is still, and how long ago was that, 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 that you oh, had that? Stop. 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's still something that comes up all the time in conversations. And it's a good example of a really simple risk mm-hmm. that that you can take. And yeah, that idea that so so I think risk, t- if, if we're going to call it a risk, that implies that there's some, you know, danger, quote, unquote, for lack of a better right. term, there's some negative consequence that might happen because we've taken this risk. So right. With letting go of cleanup, which I'm pretty new to, um, but it makes total sense now. Like, why do we have to stop and put everything back? We're just going to come right back in and join this play again. Yeah. Um, so, so I had to think. Well, what what's the worst that could happen if I stopped cleaning up? And most of it was, what would the other people think? What would my yep. boss think if they come in? What would the parents think yep. if what they if come in? Yeah. What if she's giving a tour and they're yeah. Coming- and I actually had to go to my boss and say, hey, I'm doing this thing. And and at first, I think she was a little nervous. And uh-huh. I said, but if it were me, I would tell. And, and I ended up doing this later on as an administrator, you know, mm-hmm. with, my, with, with my staff trying to get them into this concept. I would tell parents. Now, the room has been very well played in. They're outside <laughs> right now. They're coming back into play. Um, so we we don't do we try to eliminate a lot of transitions and cleanup is one of them. Uh-huh. We do clean up the room to make sure that it's safe, you know. So if there's paint spills on the floor, or play-doh on the floor, mm-hmm. or something that the child would slip or trip over, we're going to make sure that those things are out of the way. Uh-huh. But for the most part, 
we're not going to clean those things up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think another example, and I, I mentioned it a minute ago, is circle time. And that's on my mind today because, um, well, because I had a performance review and I don't do circle time. <laughs> and, and, I hate circle and time. And that was I'm mentioned. Say, I work I'm with one and two year olds. Why the hell would I do circle time? No, I don't like circle but, time. But um, so that came up. And also there was a post on Facebook this morning. Um, uh, Lisa Murphy, ooey gooey lady, posted a video of a, a woman doing a pretend circle time with chicks, and the chicks were, you know, everywhere and not paying yeah. attention. And it just yep. so it's on my mind, but that's yep. that's a big one that's also sort of feels risky to let go of. Um, so for for me, when I was thinking about that, well, can I just skip it? Can I just stop doing it, even though it's on our schedule and it's expected of me? Right. And I felt like I could do that as long as I was ready to explain myself. Right. Like, I, I wasn't going to just say, well, to hell with circle time. And I'm not, you know, who cares if you agree? Um, I, I don't have to explain anything to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm re- I'm ready for that. If that negative right. consequence is an unpleasant conversation, then I'm ready for right. it. And that makes the risk taking a little less risky if we yeah. can say why we did it. Yeah. And I should back up. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that I hate circle time. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I just, I don't care for circle time for children that are clearly, clearly not ready to be able to sit and function like that. Yeah. So. Um, I don't like it as a show we put on yes, for adults who I, need to see that we are really getting kids ready for school. Right. Right. That, yes. Of course, if kids want to come sit with you for stories and songs. Right. But as an but expectation and a proof of learning. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that little spit will translate to recorded podcasts. So, in our classroom, you know, we have a mixed age groups of threes, fours, and fives. And the one thing that I think if I I have gained so much learning um, from this new place where I'm at right now, and we have have meetings, um, and we don't call it circle time, we call it coming to meeting. Uh Um, And the kids are so engaged because the teacher engages them in such a way that it makes, and everybody participates. That's the other thing that I love about our meetings is that we gather around a platform um, there, you know, kids can, can choose to make documentation while the teacher's talking. She lets the children explore materials while she's talking. So it's super engaging. Mm -hmm. It's not this traditional, calendar and I'm going to read a story and we're going to you know we're going to see the weather and And I'll point to you when you can talk point to you when you can talk and the expectation is is that you sit crisscross applesauce Mm -hmm. so um so I love this sort of different idea of it's kind of rethinking Mm -hmm. this notion of having this circle time to be in this more meaningful meeting type setup and then um, when that's over, the children are free to go, you know, choose their work. So, um, you know, we've been doing some uh, things also in our classroom based around a training that we went to in January um, from some folks from the Riverfield Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, it's very Reggio inspired, um, very project approach inspired. Um, but what I love about what they're doing is they took some very calculated risks mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. from sort of the 
um, standard checklist of materials that you would get from like a quality rating system um, in terms of like replacing materials with more natural and recycled items. So they literally went through their classrooms and eliminated like all of like the, the colored counting bears and all of the plastic food and all of those things that we traditionally see and added in things that you can still get the exact same result but using this different type of material that's going to allow you different forms of play so the example was you have this plastic food and you have a piece of cake so normally when a child goes in and plays with a piece of cake he puts the cake on the plate and he gives it and it's always a piece of cake all the time (laughs) Where you could put a jar of ribbons or a jar of maybe cut up, um, you know, string. Mm -hmm. And that could be multiple things in your, you know, home center. So they really got you to kind of really, you know, think about materials in a very different way. um, But yet still meet those checklist standards that we're all held to and we as a group really felt like wow you know we could we could easily do this so we got together and you know gave up lunch breaks and we would have these hallway meetings and we went through our classrooms and we got rid of everything (laughs) and went to recycling centers in st louis and ikea and brought in all kinds of other materials that we could use so it was risky on a lot of Mm -hmm. levels but the goal is is that we want these rich ex- we want these rich experiences for the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think uh, that's that's another good example of of the kinds of risk that we need people to be willing to take, and that's really looking at what regulations really say and what the QRIS uh, systems really say we should be having. We we think we know a lot of times, and we make these assumptions. Well, you know, they want us to have math materials, so we've got to have counting bears because yeah. that's the the gold standard math material for right. early childhood programs. And instead of looking at maybe what we've already got in the room and making connections and being able to say to a licensor or a you know accreditation validator, this is what we this is why it's in here. This is how we are meeting that, and that's risky because depending on the training level of that licensor or validator that yeah. you may not be able to make that case. So, uh, well, but, but we, we need to be able to. Well, and I would encourage teachers to not be afraid to ask those questions. And that's exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. Our, um, our paths to quality coach came through to do kind of a six month check-in and we actually pulled them aside and said, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Are uh-huh. we going to get marked down if we don't have if we have math, but it's not in this one area, uh-huh. can we whittle down our room from nine learning centers into four really amazing areas? We call them installations. Mm-hmm. But yet we're still meeting those standards. And he's like, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to have to be able to say, you're going to have to be able to defend it. So taking photos is going to be really important. Being able to say exactly why um, we did what we did. Um, so so we started, we're taking photos. Our goal is 10 photos every day. We put them on a revolving digital photo thing. So uh-huh. it can be shown that these are the things that we're doing. Um, and we're putting together an, um, an actual like binder 
so we can show these are all the ways we're doing math. This is all awesome. the ways we're doing science. This is the way, you know, we do provide literacy in all of our areas. And we're accredited, too. So we had another another layer there. So we did look at licensing. We did look at PTQ. And then we did look at accreditation. We actually cross-referenced all of them. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that felt, what do I say, like, like maybe I'm, like, really liberating. You did, did it? Yeah. Because yeah, it did. Because I you, you realize that you have a little more control than you thought you did. Yeah, and we met with our director and we said, hey, we, you know, we actually went to this training and got something out of it and we're, we're going to put it into practice. Uh-huh. So that's also, also really important. How yeah. many times do we go to trainings and we get all this great information and we come back and we just do the same old, same old because uh-huh. we're scared. Right. So a lot of that risk taking is really rooted in just good old fashioned fear. Mm-hmm. We're just afraid of what others are going to think. We're afraid that we're not going to be able to, you know, rationalize why we made these decisions. And it just, it, it's, it takes courage. Yeah. It just takes courage. Yeah. So, so let um, me, I want to ask you another question yeah. about that process. So, sure. Do you think or have you heard or you yourself feel that um, you think differently about yourself as a teacher of young children doing that more loose parts kind of approach rather than just the early childhood catalog yes, approach absolutely. to filling your classroom? Yeah. And this is new to me. You know, mm-hmm. really, it's very, very new to me. Um, so, you know, here in my, you know, 33rd year in the early childhood field and yet I'm still like learning this whole new practice Mm -hmm. and um so yes I do because what it's made me realize is that the children are more capable than I had really I've always known that children are capable but now I'm actually seeing it in a day-to-day practice Mm -hmm. um one of the things that we introduced to them were mortars and pestles and how they can take simple things like colored chalk and chop up the chalk, add a little water to it, and it makes an amazing paint. And now we're even adding things like a little bit of glitter, or maybe we're going to add some lavender so it'll smell. Um, that, just that little that little piece really encouraged my, the lead teacher I'm working under, um, for her to come up with this whole, we have a whole apothecary now, instead of our home center. I love it. I want to play. <laughs> it's an apothecary. And it has like three mortars and pestles. It's got sifters and measuring cups and stackable bowls and sticks and chopsticks. And um, they, so they can pretend all kinds of things in there. They can make their potions. They uh-huh. can create. And it, it it really has turned into this amazing, amazing creation station. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's not your typical home center. <laughs> but we're still allowing them to, imag- you know, do imaginative things. Uh-huh. And that's what the home center is all about. So, oh. so, yes, it has made me think of children very, very differently. And I think I see them as so much more capable. Mm-hmm. I just think it would add a depth to your work. That you're not just going through the motions. And I think that's part of risk taking, too, is it makes everything deeper for you. Yeah. Um, because you're not just surviving your day. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not just doing what you've always done or what every center you've ever worked in has, has done. It's You're, allowed me to slow down. Yeah. It's what it's really done. It's it's just allowed me to slow down, and I don't have to, and, and granted, 
it's not like this all the time. I mean, you know, the other day, there really was a day where, you know, my teacher and I were walking around kind of policing because uh-huh. they were getting lots of things on the floor and things were, we were worried things were going to get stepped on or somebody was going to trip or uh-huh. a glass jar was going to break because they were <laughs> not washing it the way that we had shown them how to, yeah. you know? yeah. And those are opportunities for us. So, and another risk that you're taking, giving yeah. them those real materials, letting them yeah. have the glass jars and the messy yeah. stuff that might fall on the floor and yeah. Um, yeah. all that and stuff. They, and to have broken, you know, sure. and so we, you know, we have rules when things break, everybody stands up, they move to the other side of the room while we, you know, clean up glass. Uh-huh. Um, teachers do that. You know, we don't have the kids help clean that up, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to say, Hey, guess what we noticed? Uh We noticed Uh that when you guys are cleaning the glass jars, you're actually using soap. And really all you need to do is use some water. (laughs) And because the soap makes the glass slippery Uh and we've actually broken two glasses. So because it's our job to keep you safe, but we also want you to have pretty things. Uh This is the way that we clean the glass jars. So it, it just provides us another opportunity to teach them how it's done. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you, the last seven months have been mind-blowing for me. <laughs> yeah. So. Cool. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to stop the conversation for a minute, um, end this episode, and then we'll pick up with the next week's episode, continuing with this topic. So we, we talked a lot in this one about um, examples of risk. I think we're going to try. I never know where the conversation's going to go, but we're gonna, I'd like to try in the next episode um, to talk more about why that makes you a master teacher or why that would be a disposition for a master teacher. So thanks, Laura. Hang on. We're going to keep talking. Thanks, everybody, yeah, for listening. Show. Now go get your nerd on.